baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Even if I was a Kansas City Chiefs fan, the best news I heard over the weekend was that two hostages were rescued from Gaza. They were not released. The IDF went in with a plan and they rescued two hostages, a 60-year-old man and a 70-year-old man who were ripped from their homes by Hamas terrorists on October 7th. And the IDF went in and rescued them. They were being held in Rafah, now the last stronghold of Hamas terrorists, where many Palestinians have been evacuated. And now the IDF, uh, I imagine, is planning to go into Rafah, but also find more hostages. Joining us now is CBS military analyst Jeff McCausland on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Jeff, so glad to have you back on the show. Jordana, great to be with you. Now, President Biden said that uh, Netanyahu, that Prime Minister Netanyahu, should not proceed without a plan into the rest of Gaza. Yet, doesn't this show that he had a that Netanyahu has had a plan because this was a very strategic plan to extract at least two of these hostages? Well, I think I disagree with you slightly, Jordana. Is I would say it was a tactical plan to take care of seizing two hostages. No, by the way, there seems to be some dis. Uh, lack of information on what group actually were holding them. One of the challenges of the hostages is beyond Hamas, who we know has the majority of hostages, there are several other groups in the Gaza Strip that may have taken hostages as well, and we think perhaps these two people were actually being held by another group. So it's a tactical operation that's doing that. The strategic plan is how do you take Rafa and, and not make things worse? And the use of military force, I always like to say, is a means, and it's not an end. And the challenge you got is this war is going on, and it's relatively small and one of the most highly urbanized areas on the planet. You have pressed that population into a smaller and smaller land area. And there are estimates now well over a million people are now crammed into the southern end of the Gaza Strip in and around, the, in and around uh, Rafa. So if you go in there, as you've done already, with a lot of airstrikes, artillery, tanks, heavy mechanized operations, the humanitarian disaster is going to be just off the charts. It's going to make what's happened so far look at like it was not very bad. And we know, we know 28,000 Palestinians have been killed so far, number one. Number two, you can say, and this is what the Israelis are saying, well, we're urging those people to flee. Well, the question is, flee where? <laughs> they can't go north. That's where the Israeli military forces are coming from. They can't go east into Israel proper. They, they can't go into Egypt because the Egyptians have been steadfast. They don't want a huge population ending up in Egypt, which would never be returning. And the other option is the Mediterranean Sea. So you can tell them to flee, but flee where? Uh, and even now, the challenge of that particular military operation could compromise, frankly, one of the most longstanding agreements, which has been a bedrock of stability in the Middle East, and that is the 1979 treaty between Egypt uh, and Israel. So a strategic plan of how you manage all those problems, humanitarian, Egyptian, and what do you do the day after you declare Hamas defeated, I think is what the president is driving at. Uh, on the question of Egypt, I guess, why isn't Egypt accepting some of those folks? 
Well, if you're Egypt, I mean, you look at back to 1948 and you say, well, wait a minute, you know, 1948 and about three quarters of a million Palestinians fled or were forced out of what is now modern Israel. And they were told at the time, and the Palestinians actually called this the Nakba or the catastrophe. And they were told, okay, this is a temporary thing and you're going to be allowed to return to your home. That was 75 years ago, 76 years ago, excuse me. Well, that's never happened. So you can tell the Egyptians, well, we're going to move, you know, 2 million Palestinian refugees into Egypt, but it's only temporary. And the Egyptians are going, no, no, we've seen this played before, you know. And if you're Egypt, you also have a problem already. You have on your southern border, you have a large refugee population coming out of Sudan, which is in the midst of a civil war. <clears throat> on your western border, you have refugee population and people fleeing from Libya, which has been in almost constant civil war in some form of unrest for many, many years. And then, of course, in the Sinai, you have a, a, a problem that they've been dealing with, and I've met with the Egyptians about that, and that is actually challenges from groups that are affiliated with ISIS. So why would we, Egypt, who are already having our own economic problems, uh, oh, by the way, want to accept 2 million refugees, Palestinians, with a very good possibility that they're never going to be repatriated, they're going to become our problem. Why is there no humanitarian call for them to be displaced to either Jordan or Egypt? You know, we hear a lot that there should be a ceasefire, which, of course, would give Hamas a victory. Yet I, I understand what you're saying about Egypt, that they're afraid they're not going to be able to go back. But, boy, isn't, isn't it really more responsible to allow them access to safety than just they may not be allowed back or that's a future problem? Well, certainly that's an argument you can make. You can also make the argument that we really need to do is provide more humanitarian assistance to them where they are right now. And, of course, uh, and allow them perhaps to go back into the, the northern portion of the Gaza Strip, where many of them came from. As Israel begins this operation, potentially, to going uh, into Rafah, what they need to do, I would argue, is set up very, very deliberate corridors that would allow that population to move back north where they came from. And have they well, not done that? A whole lot. Best of my knowledge, they have not. Or if they've done it, they've done it in a very limited fashion. That's a huge problem because you've got to make sure and differentiate who are actual people returning home from who are Hamas fighters just trying to infiltrate north. And I've watched us do that, oh, by the way, outside of the city of Fallujah in Iraq, where we had about 300,000 people who left that city as we began the attack and then, and then repatriated. And that's a really hard problem. And then number two is you've got to make sure you've got the humanitarian assistance going into the Gaza Strip, then writ large, which now is not happening, to sustain that population because more and more the crisis of humanitarian assistance in the Gaza Strip is off the charts. Very little, very little food, very little potable water, and a high probability of, um, of infectious disease breaking out. And then on top of that, of course, there's this problem with the U.N. agency that has been long time in the Gaza Strip because of the affiliation of a number of its members with Hamas, looks like it's going to be disbanded or, or not funded, which may be appropriate. But if you, if you don't fund that agency, then what agency provides that kind of assistance? And that's not something you can create overnight. And you make an excellent point that members of UNRWA are affiliated with Hamas. Uh, we're also learning like oh. that... And, and I think that was sh shocking, at least to uh, many people who are watching this, not to me as somebody who's uh, been aware of UNRWA sure. for a long time. But explain why 
it is so hard. You mentioned it's diff- it's hard to differentiate from innocent civilians from Hamas terrorists if Israel wants them to go back north. You know, the innocent civilians uh, to go back north. Right. Why is it so hard to discern who's a terrorist and who's not? Well, because, you know, basically we're talking, in most cases, young men, unless you say it can only be women and children and elderly, we're talking young men. And this was the same problem we had in Fallujah. <clears throat> so a young man tells you he's a refugee and he's dressed and looks like he's a refugee. He doesn't have any weapons. He has identification that his home is in Gaza or some Canyonis or somewhere north, which has already been uh, secured by the Israelis. Uh, what do you do with him? And the problem is that for the Hamas, we know full well, based on this extensive tunnel network that they constructed under the Gaza Strip, which may be bigger than the London Metro, oh, by the way, that there may be the possibility of weapons that are stored, hidden in the areas that Israel has secured. That was our problem in in Fallujah, by the way, and he just goes back to his home, but there's a cache of weapons through the tunnel he's aware of where he can go secure his weapons, secure his munitions, and then attack Israeli forces from the rear. Uh, changing uh, gear here, uh, Colonel McCausland, thank you so much uh, for joining us. We're talking to uh, Jeff McCausland, who is a military analyst for CBS News, a retired U.S. Army colonel. I wanted to get your comments on uh, what uh, former President Donald Trump said this weekend about NATO. Let's just hear what he had to say about that. I did the same thing with NATO. I got them to pay up. NATO was busted until I came along. I said, everybody's going to pay. They said, well, if we don't pay, are you still going to protect us? I said, absolutely not. They couldn't believe the answer. And everybody... What do you what do you make of that? What do you what is your reaction to those comments, which are uh, garnering a lot of criticism? Yeah. I frankly find it, first of all, irresponsible, and second of all, a shocking lack of understanding by someone who was president of the United States for four years. Why would I say irresponsible? Because since 1949, NATO has been an alliance, which has been the bulwark of Western security, and the United States secures enormous value from that in a host of ways, uh, not only in terms of just finances, but in terms of the leadership we get, security for the United States the promotion of democratic values, the international system created after World War II, which includes alliances like NATO, GATT, GATT, as well as other uh, organizations of the international system. Um, So on the one hand, I think it's irresponsible for a former president to say that publicly and encourage Mr. Putin, who he also at one time called a genius when Putin invaded Ukraine. Second of all, it shows a lack of understanding because there's there's no bills to be paid. There's no bills to be paid. The basic running of NATO, every country pays, <clears throat> if you will, a bill uh, to run NATO as a headquarters and all the things that go on in Brussels. That's all paid for by the members. There's no argument about that. Mr. Trump is alluding to, I guess, is what they pay for their own defense, for their own defense. And NATO has guidelines, not laws, but guidelines that every country should spend 2% of their GDP on defense. And he's right, in a way, the significant number of those countries in NATO for a host of internal economic reasons, have yet to reach that goal. Many have now accelerated it dramatically, Germans, Poles, and others, in the aftermath of the invasion of Ukraine. But that's what he's really talking about, is them investing in their own self-defense. Now, we could dissolve NATO if we wanted to and decide it was not useful to the United States. I guess we could do that. Mr. Putin would be tremendously happy, and I'm sure he's very happy about these remarks today, But this might end up with a world in which the Germans, the Swedes, the Finns, the Poles, the Italians, the Spaniards, etc., 
decide that they all individually need to acquire their own nuclear weapons to deter threats from a larger power like the Russian Federation. It just seems to me that's, that's a world that's less useful to American national security. And, and, and on that note, uh, you know, we've got – there's a growing uh, appetite for in America of people pulling back on support for Ukraine. We've got Tucker Carlson's interview with Putin saying, oh, no, you know – the, 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 it's absurd to think that I, I, I'd go any further than Ukraine. Uh, I think I know the answer to this, but how uh, can we trust him uh, on that? Well, I w- no offense, my friend, you've got to be kidding. I mean, yeah. you know, why would you trust Vladimir Putin? Right. This, is, this is a man who said, okay, I, I invaded Georgia in 2008, and I was satisfied with that. Oh, I invaded Ukraine actually in 2014 yeah. and took the Crimea. It took the Donbass and Smith and Portion and started a war then. Oh, I interfered in American elections. Oh, I interfered in Brexit vote. Oh, I've interfered in European elections. Oh, I've ordered the assassination of dissidents and, and, and expatriates from Russia on the soil of Great Britain. <clears throat> Would anybody possibly imagine? And this is a guy, by the way, in 2007 gave a speech at the Munich Security Conference in which he described the world, uh, what he called Ruski Neo. And the near abroad, that is Russians living outside of the territorial borders of then the Russian Federation. And his argument at the time was, I need to get all those people back under the borders of the Russian Federation. So he's not trying to recreate the Soviet Union. No, he wants to be the czar, Peter the the Great. (laughs) So why would anybody who's living in Poland or living in Ukraine or living in Moldova or living in Estonia or living in Latvia or living in Lithuania or parts of Finland, where there are significant Russian ethnic groups, or Kazakhstan for that matter, uh, believe Mr. Putin when he said, no, that's all I really need, any more than Adolf Hitler saying, all I really need is Czechoslovakia. I mean, why would anybody believe that for a moment? Yet there's many people who do, which is head-scratching to me. shocking to me. Jeff, thank you. But Jeff, before we let you go, um, we love mining sure. your brain, but we don't know what we don't know. So, on either of these, <laughs> yes, on either of these topics, is there anything we missed, or anything that our listeners need to know uh, today? Well, I mean, I saw Tucker Carlson do his thing, and Mr. Putin gave this. If you listen to that thing, you get this is the problem hiding in plain sight because. He kind of refuted the argument that I'm on a thread. If you listen to this sort of two hour, which would kill you, monologue by Putin, <laughs> which he re- he reviews Russian history right. back to a, you know a thousand years, thirteen hundreds, yeah. basically telling you, yeah, that Ukraine never existed, and that kind of tells you. So he's telling you what he believes. The problem hiding in plain sight. It's just like if people had read Mein Kampf in the 1920s, 1930s, Mr. Hitler was very clear about what he intended to do we just didn't believe him and sadly that's exactly what's happened here and you know vladimir lenin when he was a revolutionary and created the soviet union used to say you know there are in there are in the west useful idiots and we need to take advantage of them. and i think mr carlson might want to read more lenin <laughs> and if yes on that note uh, jeff if donald trump is elected in november i mean is that a victory for putin too Totally. I mean, the last time he was elected, when he defeated Mrs. Clinton, if you look back at what happened in Moscow, there were champagne parties all across the Russian Federation celebrating the election of Mr. Trump. And I also feel, I know we got to let you go, Jeff, but I also feel like Hamas is the same way. Hamas is telling us, that, you know, death to America. After they yeah. come for Israel, yeah. they're coming for the rest of us. I, nobody's listening. Well, they are, but Jordan, you might they threaten that, but I mean, let's, let's be candid. 
<clears throat> the Russians are an existential threat. They have strategic nuclear forces that could, you know, cause us unbelievable harm in almost our existence in an afternoon. Hamas is a problem, <clears throat> but they're certainly never going to be, or, or certainly aren't right now, an existential threat to the United States. They may beat their chest a lot, and that's fine, but they're not an existential threat to the United States. And their primary objective is to establish a state they can control in the Middle East and destroy Israel. That's their really primary objective. Last question, then I promise we'll let you go, Jeff. <laughs> I just wanted to ask you. Lloyd Austin is back in the hospital. Lloyd Austin's back in the hospital. Are you confident he can continue right. as defense secretary? Obviously, he's dealing uh, with significant I, health yeah. issues, and we hope for yeah. the best. But is this a problem? Could potentially be a problem. I, mean, I, I don't know. I'm not a medical doctor. I certainly don't have the details, nor does anybody, I'm sure, of Mr. Austin's health condition. But it seems to have potentially worsened. Apparently, he's in a... Uh, uh, intensive care unit, but that may be more for security reasons than anything else. But I'm certainly that's going to be an issue. And, and he was supposed to testify, I think, on the 15th of February before the House Armed Services Committee on his unexplained absence or unreported absence, I should say, uh, and questions like that were going to be raised then. But that was pushed back to the 29th. I'm confident, sadly, that we're going to hear voices on Capitol Hill bringing that up more and more. But I'd just like to say one thing is, you know, I've met Lloyd a couple of times. I don't know him well. But this man spent 35 years in uniform, unbelievable sacrifices to the nation, then took over probably one of the toughest two or three jobs on the planet Earth. And has served the nation, I think, well. You may disagree with some of the policies, but, you know, he, he worked as hard as he could for the last now three years. And I'm sure everybody of whatever political stripe listening on this radio wishes uh, Secretary Austin a speedy recovery. Absolutely. Colonel, Absolutely. Colonel, thank you so much for the time. Uh, we appreciate it. Thanks for going a little extra for yeah, us today. Yeah, thanks, Colonel. <laughs> Anytime. Colonel Jeff McCausland, uh, CBS uh, Military Analyst. Way behind 1125, we'll react uh, next on CCO. So, uh, it's a lot of information. Kind of an unusual week because um, I'm hosting the morning show Wednesday on Valentine's Day as a treat to our listeners. That is a treat. <laughs> as a Valentine's Wake gift. up with Adam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That I'm, is a treat. Uh, saving uh, our listeners uh Sparing them, uh, me, on Valentine's Day. But I'm bringing that up because usually Wednesday's the day we review our random review. Right. So since I'm not doing it Wednesday, let's do that today. Mm-hmm. I would love we'll to We'll pick do a that show today, today. Yes. And then we'll review it tomorrow. I would love that. Uh, just one note, though. I mean, we get to, not a Trump defender from a texter, and then they proceeded to defend Trump. But whatever. He's a businessman first. Hallmarks of business is negotiating, posturing, and bluffing. This isn't business. This isn't a Wall Street boardroom. This is NATO, and this is international security. And first of all, you're giving a lot of credit to Donald Trump for being this great businessman. Yeah, Again, right. when the point to – look at the evidence, okay? Daddy's money, and he's run many of those businesses into the ground and not file taxes. And I mean, come on, people. He's no genius. <laughs> and speaking of not paying his bills – or speaking of NATO yeah. countries not paying their bills. Right? Uh, so let's stop with that. That Well, he's, you know, he's a straight, to, he's okay. about bluster, and the, the, the world fears Donald Trump. And, and again, this, uh, well, there's no wars when Trump was president. Again, if no planes crash while I'm on the air today. That must mean when I'm on the air, mm-hmm. planes don't crash. And this stuff, <laughs> and the stuff, you know, oh, you know, we crossed a red line with Russia. So we, we just kowtow to Russia then? I mean, was, give me a break. And if you're foolish enough to believe that was Jeff McCausland, by the way. He's a military analyst. He was a colonel in the United States Army, went to West Point, and 
you know, we just write it. Oh, he's just, a, you know, he's part of the deep state or protecting Democrats. Just give me a break. Just listen to what he said. Yes, that's right. Know listen a little about world said. history and know mm-hmm. about Vladimir Putin. Like suddenly we're people siding with Putin on this. It's just this is it's, shocking. It's unbelievable. You don't have to be a you don't have to like Biden or celebrate Joe Biden or be a Democrat. Mm-hmm. You'd be an American. Be an it's, American. It's this is, you me. know, you're siding with a Russian president. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, we grew up in the 80s too, Adam. You more in the 90s, maybe, but it, there was such a Russian scare that was supposed. You know, the Russians were our enemies then, and it was so scare. Everything was scary, and now it shocks me to see, especially now in a time of war where. A killer has invaded another yep. sovereign nation right. just because he wants to. There would be any sympathy for yeah. that cause. It's And we can't get aid out in a proper amount of time and at least right. enough aid than they need. It shocks me why we yeah. would not want to defeat or at least push Putin off from invading sovereign nations because, like Jeff said, and if you did not hear the entire interview, please, I'm going to post it on my Instagram, at Jordana Verde, because what he said was so important. He said – if the Russians – or excuse me, if, if Europe had read Mein Kampf, they would have known exactly what Hitler wanted to do. Mm-hmm. He said Putin is telling us what he is going to do. He is never just going to no. be satisfied with Ukraine the way he wasn't with Crimea. He's telling us what he's right. going to do. And we talk about you know, Joe Biden uh, He's weaponized the Justice Department here in the U.S. against political opponents. Now look at Russia. That's actual weaponization of a Justice Department when you actually put to death your political Thank opponents. You. Putting to death. Okay. Thank you. I mean, it's just, again, it's one of those things that I just don't get. I do not understand how we've come to this place where suddenly people would actually side with Russia over the United States of America. And that doesn't mean, well, everything's great in America. But no, you, we can criticize our government and guess what and get away with it. That's the big difference, too, by the way. It's- and I look at it as, Adam, people also side with Hamas. People, you know, who are calling for a ceasefire would give Hamas a victory. That is insane. When they dragged those hostages back, they were yelling death to Israel, death to America. It shocks me that people have sympathy for terrorists. I guess they hate Jews that much that they have sympathy for terrorists. But that's what Putin is. He is a murderer. He will come and invade and start wars and take people captive. Mm -hmm. That has been happening. We need to believe people when they show us who they are. 11.34, 11.34, uh, changing gears significantly. Yes, we'll fire yes. up the RRG a day early, and we'll pick a uh, show. Uh, it's a random review coming up on a Monday on WCCO. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. I think you should read that on the air right now. <laughs> oh, I can't. I was telling Adam that I I got an unhinged email from someone who yeah. remembers me from television about asking them asking me to help them get money that was stolen mm-hmm. from a very popular star and I I said I I I can't I, I was going to respond in the beginning yeah. but I feel that this person is right. too unhinged and I I can't do that. It happens from time to time. We just hope people get the help they, they get. Need. Help. Mm-hmm. That's right. Absolutely. All right. So here's the deal. I am uh, hosting the morning show uh, for Vanita on Wednesday morning on uh, Valentine's Day. 
And then you are uh, traveling again. Yes, in fact. I love this, by the way. I'm so excited for you. I'm jealous. I am, Jelly. I am excited for us also. We are going to Madrid to visit my oldest while she's studying abroad there. I've never been to Spain. Have you been to Spain? Well, I've never been to Spain. Oh, that's, that's a, a great song. song. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'll have to Google that. I have, have been to Spain twice. Oh, you have? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yes. Uh, Madrid or Barcelona? Uh, very briefly in Madrid. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've been to Barcelona and I've been uh, on the Costa del Sol, uh, Malaga, and the uh, southern coast La in the Mediterranean. Um, but yeah, it's wonderful. I love Spain. Okay, I can't wait. I have never been to Spain. David, have you already? Uh, yeah. Every yeah, time you yes. say never been to Spain, I keep it's Three Dog Night. Listening. It's a great song. Elvis did it too, by the way. So you've been? I have been to Spain. My uh, brother-in-law got married in Spain, and we were there for two weeks over the wedding and did some touring as well. It was fantastic. And did you go to Madrid? I did. We spent a long weekend in Madrid. Mm. What'd you think? Uh, it is lovely. I can't wait. And just the the pace of life is so different in that part of, and you know, other countries too, but especially in Spain where it's just slower and there's a siesta and everyone just shuts down in the afternoon and then the streets are alive until midnight or later at night. And it's fantastic. I can't wait. Marley's very excited about this. Well, I've never oh, been to Spain. But <laughs> I kind of like the music. The king. How is it, by the way, that we have a Super Bowl in Las Vegas and we have no Elvis sightings? No, like oh, yeah. somebody said, to, no Wayne Newton. Where was Wayne Newton during the halftime show? Yeah, or an Elvis right? They should have had some Vegas superstars yes. there. Absolutely. All right. Uh, but by the way, that was a roundabout way of saying that usually we do a random <laughs> review on Tuesday. <laughs> we pick the show Tuesday and review it for Wednesday. But since. Wait, that's not even the reason we're doing it on a day early. We're doing it a day early because you're working. Because of me, the yeah, because I'm working. It has nothing show. to do with Jordana going to Spain. I know, but I just wanted to mention that oh, she's going okay. to Spain. Okay. I'm excited about it. Yeah, so we're excited for you. Thank you. Jealous, but excited. Uh, so today we're going to do yeah, pick Yeah, we're going to fire it up. That's right. And somebody's wondering, will it work a day earlier? That's. But David watched a YouTube video on how to prepare the, <laughs> the random RG? review for a day yeah. earlier. Mm-hmm. Well, again, proving why it's so handy to have YouTube on your phone. You got to shovel a couple extra megawatts in there and then kick it kind of yeah. on the left gotta side. Yeah, kick it a little early. It works. Yeah. So here's how it works. We pick a show uh, that uh, you can watch with us or choose not to watch it. You can just listen to our reviews because who, I mean, you trust our reviews on this. Who knows television better than uh, Jordan and myself? So here we go. Uh, f- first is the genre. We'll pick the genre and then the show. Fire it up. Oh, well, it's, didn't we watch a documentary last week? It's a documentary again. Maybe it's... Wait, wait what did we watch? Because it's stuck on documentary. Oh, we watched the We Are the World thing. Yes. That yes. Was great. So good. All my friends are watching it now. They're yes. Ca- they're calling me weeping, saying it's the greatest <laughs> thing ever. Okay. Uh, well, we got another documentary. So They uh, are. People cry. Here we go. Mark cried. All right, here we go. Documentary. Okay. Yeah, we're off to Oh, I haven't heard of this one. It's a documentary. It's called Class Action Park. Class have, have Action Park. It's not really fair to ask the question, what was Action Park? Basic level, you can say it was a water slide park. But in truth, it was so much more than a water slide park. Action Park was the chaos summer park with very little oversight, too much alcohol, 
whistles blowing, people screaming, motors running. Sounds fun. It was an energy, you know. You knew you were jumping into the fire pit. Jordana, your face lit up here. Okay. What's going on here? You guys. Have you been? First of all, the RRG is definitely listening to us. Yeah. Because Tim Lammers texted me about this documentary. I haven't seen it yet. But Action Park is real. Action Park was an amusement park in New Jersey, Mm -hmm. in in Vernon, New Jersey, when I was growing up. And we used to go every summer. It was, friends, I tell you, I kid you not, a death trap. People died every year. I'm not kidding. There were deaths every year at Action Park. And we'd watch the news and be like, okay, how many died this year? Five? Oh, only five this summer? Okay, six the next summer. People died at Action Park. And yet – our 80s parents still dropped us off at Action Park to go there at least once a summer. That's what made you tougher as a kid. You guys, I remember getting severely injured on some of these slides. Oh, I remember. I remember getting launched. There was this one slide. It was hot metal. Um, and it was supposed to be a water slide, but it still got really hot, you know, and it kind of drips the water down the yeah. slide. I fell off to the side because there are no guardrails. And it's basically like a an incline so steep that it's like a free fall and yeah. then it, the slide hooks under you. But I remember like jostling around and I fell off the side, never made it to the pool at the end. Jeez. And there was this other one that we used to sit in like a little cart. It wasn't just a water park. There was – there were other rides too. It was like a not a luge, but like an alpine. Like yeah, you sit in a little. Slide. Yeah, there yep. you go. And it's a it's a cement track. Yeah, and one of those I up at, uh, remember Lutzer. thinking, I'm definitely gonna die. I'm I'm gonna die on this ride because it was so fast and there were no brakes and there was no control. You just had to hang on for dear life. And Action Park has since been closed down, of course, because people died. People died. Six. I just Googled it. Six people had died at Action Park. Thank you. Over multiple years. It was open for like 20 years. And it was insane. And we all used to tell jokes like, oh, literally there were T-shirts that said, I survived Action (laughs) Park. And I guess we didn't get the irony. And it was the 80s. So like, I don't know, your parents, you know, you always, oh, they sent us out to play and told us to come home for dinner. They would drop us off at Action Park thinking that we were safe. But it was no way safe. Uh, Texter, this documentary is great. Another text, you guys just scored on an awesome documentary. Oh, I can't wait to see so, it. So uh, the people have already seen it. The reviews are coming in, rave reviews, baffo reviews. So, I yeah, can't wait. I can't either. I mean, T- Tim I don't want to see like, about- the no, horror Tim, of it. Tim but- texted, he said, Jordana, you grew up in New Jersey. Have you heard of this? I'm like, have I heard of this? I've been there. I have friends that ended up in slings because of Action Park. Wendy Chill. Everyone, Wendy, Wendy Chill. Chill. What a great name! <laughs> Ended up in a sleep. Wendy Chill. Wendy, no, she shouldn't chill at Action Park. And then, okay, I'm gonna have to go and get, curate some stories. Can you find uh, an old friend of yours who got injured at Action Park? I'm gonna have to. Maybe I'll have somebody on the air with that us would be tomorrow. Pretty funny. I rem- oh, Action Park was so deadly. We had wait. We oh, we used to call it Traction Park. Yeah, that's what this because, oh, Gary Birdman, our texter, says. Is that what one of the other names for it was Traction Park? Yes, because you'd end up in traction because <laughs> it was such a death trap. There were you know how like you have a so I'm going off on this, but you have like a pool where you're like hanging out or you're in a uh, and there was a 
There was a rope swing. That's what it was. There was a rope swing oh, on yeah. top of this like lagoon. They called yeah. it a lagoon. And people were hanging out in, in um, rafts, in river, you know, in like round rafts. And I, But I remember people would come on the rope swing and drop into the pool on top of people that were underneath it. There was no like you have to wait three seconds until the area is cleared. People were just packed in there, loaded by the way. The teen, I was too young, but teenagers would drink and smoke cigarettes and – they would just drop on top of each other. It was. Uh, now I'm bringing back all of these clearly. Well, I can't wait to watch abusive it. memories. Could you imagine though, like if I mean, God uh, forbid somebody I got it. killed at uh, like Valley Fair or something. Oh. I mean, the, it'd be shut it down an investigation. You guys, six people died at yeah. Action Park. <laughs> She says as she so, laughs. I'm so excited to watch. The, I'm going to make my kids watch it because then I'm going to have major street cred because I survived. Yeah. Actually, maybe you're on one of the. Maybe they have some footage, archival footage, and you're in it. Maybe I'm in it. Oh my god! I can't wait. I'm really excited. Again, it's uh, Class Action Park is the name of the documentary. Is it on Netflix? No, oh, it's on uh, HBO, HBO Max. Max. Oh, HBO Max. But this, I don't think it's new. I think it's no, just it's released on. On. Yep. I can't believe I haven't seen it. I can't well, wait. You'll watch it tonight. Watch it with us. Uh, check it out. Class Action Park if oh, you have HBO real. Max. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll review it tomorrow. Sounds like fun. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 